Good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, My name's John. If if I don't know you, I think we're all friends here. I think I know all of you. Thanks for showing up again this morning. Uh, We are in a series called Trusting God When It Hurts. And uh, can you believe it? This is session eight by my count. And um, yeah, looking forward to what God has for us this morning. I, I've, been, I've been structuring and using a book by a guy named Dan McCartney called Why Does It Have to Hurt to kind of help with our outline and, and some of the content. And, uh, you know, we, we, we've learned a number of things along the way about suffering so far. And one of the, one of the things is, is we learned some, some lessons from the book of Job specifically. And, and one lesson was that we likely don't know the specific reasons for a specific person experiencing specific suffering, right? We, we just said we likely don't know those specific reasons. Yeah, well, you could, we could multitask. You can do that Sunday school and this Sunday school. That could be fun. Um, so, so we said, we, from, from, from Job, you know, trying to figure out why is this happening for a specific person, specific suffering, we probably don't know all the specific reasons. However, having said that, the Bible does give reasons why Christians suffer, at least in big picture terms. And so last week, we looked at the first reason. Does anybody remember what that reason was? If you were here, if you weren't here, you're off the hook. Kathy? Yeah, yeah. One reason we suffer is it's, it draws us closer to Jesus. We identify with him in our suffering. Um, and so we talked about that last week. Yeah, identification with Jesus. He suffered, and as, and as, fo- as his followers, as members of his body, therefore we suffer. In other words, as we experience suffering, we're drawn closer to Jesus in what the New Testament talks about, this fellowship of suffering, okay? So that's one reason we can say why we suffer. So number one, identification with Jesus. Today we're going to explore the second of, the, uh, of four reasons why Christians suffer. And before we look at that second reason, let me pray for us. Our Father and our God, we come to you and Lord, more than anything, we need to experience you today. Lord, we've we've heard a lot about you, most of us throughout our lives. We hear a lot about you, maybe even throughout the week. We hear about you as we worship together. We'll hear about you today, this morning in this class. But, but Father, what we really need is to see you, is to experience you. And, and so, Father, today, maybe in some small way, we could, we could experience you here this morning in Sunday school, especially as we, as we gather to, to worship together as, as your loved children. So, Father, we pray you pour out your spirit here, there, that we might know you better, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, 
Philippians 1, Philippians chapter 1 is, is one of the texts I want to use because it reveals the second reason why Christians suffer. So reason number two is what we're talking about today. And so let me just read this text and I think you'll, you'll pick up on this second reason. Paul, if, if you remember what's happening with Paul, um, he's in prison, right? He's in Rome. He's imprisoned. If you remember the book of Acts, at the very end of the book of Acts, right? Paul, toward the end of the book of Acts, Paul is being, uh, the, the, the Jewish authorities don't like that he's speaking about Jesus. And so, um, so basically they, they, they collude with the, the Roman authorities to, um, to imprison him, although he's a Roman citizen. And so the Roman authorities allow him to make a defense. And later in the book of Acts, Paul gets to a point where, um, I mean, he's put off, he's stonewalled by the, the Roman authorities. And eventually Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. You know, I'm done with you low-level Roman governors. You're corrupt. I, I appeal to Caesar. And that was, that was the right of every Roman citizen. They could actually appeal directly to Caesar. And so they eventually, the Roman authorities, put him on a boat and sail him to Rome, right? And so probably... Probably Paul in this in his first imprisonment in Rome, it's probably AD 60-62, he's writing to the church in Philippi from a Roman prison. So that's important context for what's going on here. Okay, so writing from prison, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, which was in Greece, and he writes this: I want you to know, brothers and sisters, in Christ that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's suffering, what do I want to say to you? Yeah, I want you to know what has happened to me. Being in prison for sharing about Jesus has really, Paul is basically saying being in prison for Jesus, being in prison for sharing about Jesus has really served to advance the gospel. And so here's the point, point number two, why do Christians suffer? Suffering as testimony. Suffering as testimony. Paul's suffering has served as a testimony to the reality of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's uncharacteristic response to his suffering has served as a testimony that he believes that Jesus Christ is real. He's not a dead teacher. He's a resurrected reality. And Paul's astonishing response to being unjustly treated is a testimony, suffering as testimony. Um, Paul says, he says that because of that, 
it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And it's a testimony to non-Christians. So the imperial guard are looking at this and they're going, wow, what's going on here? This guy's in prison for this dude, Jesus, and they're amazed at his response. And similarly, fellow Christians are strengthened, encouraged. This, this idea of a testimony means to give evidence of some reality, right? To give testimony is to give evidence of some reality. And so the, the Christians that Paul knows are also strengthened because they're like, holy cow, look at how he's responding to this unjust imprisonment. And it says that they're actually more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay? So why do Christians suffer? We suffer as a testimony to those who are watching. In other words, as we suffer with Jesus and for the sake of Jesus, we testify with our lives that Jesus is real. Yeah. It depends on how we respond. And, and, and so last week and this week do correspond, right? Because last week we said that, and we'll talk a little bit more about this today too, but we said that as, as followers of Christ, he suffered, right? And was glorified. And that's the pattern for us. We suffer and will be glorified. When we, when we exercise faith in Jesus, we're united to him in, in an identity or an identification that's so intimate that what's true of him is true of me. Where he went, I go. And, and so that's, that's kind of the idea, is that we, I, as we identify with him in our suffering, he's strengthening us to respond that way. Now, easier said than done. And we, we've said that, but, but hear me, and I'm going to say this again, Job is a great example. It wasn't this stoic, you know, trust, like everything's fine, I'm with Jesus, so all this suffering's okay, right? It was complaining, but he was always turning to God, clinging to God. Why is this happening? What's going on, right? So it was not this stoic trust. It was trust that looked like, God help me, do something, right? Does that make sense? Yep. And we'll, we'll talk more about that, but you're, that's, it's a great... It's a great clarification. So, so there's this passage, this, this uh, Philippians 1 passage. And, you know, at the very beginning of our, of our course, I, I, uh, I uh, had you look at 1 Peter 3. This is a classic apologetic passage. But note that this, this passage to give a reason for the hope uh, for within is in the context of suffering. So 1 Peter uh, 3, verses 14 through 17 says this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, 
for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, right? Okay? So, so what, that, what that means, I think I've got a slide here, do I? Yeah. What that means is, um, is that the Christian's ability to answer for the hope in the face of suffering is one of the most effective tools for witness. I should have said this first, but um, one author says this, the mandate to always be ready with a defense for the hope that is within you is found in the context of a passage about suffering. Partly because uh, suffering is a problem and partly because suffering is the Christian's ability to answer for the hope in the face of suffering, and it's one of the most effective tools of witness. So, so if you think back to the very first session we had, I said that sometimes people have the objection to the problem of evil and suffering, right? It's an intellectual issue, and we wanna be able to give the best answer we can to that intellectual issue, but partly, that's part of the issue, but partly we give witness or testimony to suffering as we experience it and we respond to it. Does that make sense? All right. Kind of hang with me today. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not my uh, my best day today. But we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Um. So. So the Christian's ability to answer for the hope, for the hope that is within in the face of suffering is one of the church's most effective tools of witness. Can you think of an example where, where a Christian's response to suffering is an effective tool of witness or testimony? Can you think of a, a specific example? Yeah, Russ. Um, well, that, that's one question the thing we know about Paul is that Paul was suffering for the gospel specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So if we as a Christian, whether we suffer some accident or have something else coming over there, that isn't clearly suffering for Christ, yeah. is that still fitting in the same category? That's my question. One thing that happened with my wife is she, she fell uh, in her parking lot and, 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 and basically had a really bad concussion that continued on. So because of that, she actually had to have a surgery on her neck. Yeah. And ultimately, when we were in the hospital, because of that, uh, her and my my daughter, they were wonderful testimonies to people coming in saying, you know, hey, can we pray for you? And people, some of the nurses came in tears. So it did bring glory to God. Yeah. But it's not the same kind of thing when we think of Paul. Yeah. That's a great question, and that's where we're going next. <laughs> so hold that hold that thought. Yes, Louise. Jesus from the things he would suffer. That he went through and suffered. That's our example. Yeah, he's our example. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking like uh, Daniel and the Lions game. Okay. You know, he was persecuted for his um, faith in God and was praying, and the other uh, wise men 
of the king were very jealous. Yeah. And they threw him into the lion's den, but God used the angels to shut the lion's mouth. And yeah. Much protected. So he had to suffer through being scared to be eaten alive, but God used the angels. Yeah, that's a great example. Like we're gonna, we're gonna throw you into the lion's den. That's uh, the hungry lions, not just, not just pet pet lions. Yeah, um, and and God supernaturally protected him. Yes, that's a witness. Yeah, Neil. I was thinking of something more current, like the pastors in China. Yep. That are thrown into prison, and the conviction that they have by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would really forsake all of their earthly comfort and be imprisoned for this deeply held belief. This isn't a preference. Yeah, I like that language, yeah. That's not a preference, it's a conviction. That's right. And, and, and the testimony to the people that are watching, mm-hmm. yeah, like, like, wow, they're playing for keeps. That's right. They really believe. Everything. They really believe what they believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. Yeah, Troy. Yeah, yeah, I think it was, uh, was it Tertullian? Yeah, that said. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yep, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Excellent job, you guys are on this. Here's the question. I mean, Russ pointed it, pointed it out. What kind of suffering counts? What kind of suffering counts? Is it only suffering persecution specifically because we're Christians that serves as a testimony? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's try to answer that question. And, and here's, here's my answer. Peter seems to indicate that all suffering that we endure for Jesus' sake identifies with him and thus that any suffering can serve as a testimony. I'm sorry, that made me think. I'm wondering if the testimony is only just for humans, but it seems like in Job's case, the testimony was for angels or some other purposes. Yeah. Yeah. We never know who's watching. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to Job a little bit. But Peter says this in 1 Peter. You're familiar with this passage, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Uh, starting in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Louise, good job. <clears throat> so, so 1 Peter 2.18 and following says this, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good, we just read that, um, and not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. These servants, the, the word there is literally like a household servant, right? They're, they're not suffering specifically because they identified themselves as Christians. At least we don't know that, right? These servants suffered simply because their masters were, were arbitrary and unjust, right? Okay? So, so, so 
So then, according to verses 20 and 21, they were nevertheless suffering like Jesus because they were suffering for doing good, not evil. And here's the key thing. It says, it says, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, right? So, so they're suffering unjustly and mindful of Jesus, mindful of God. They're, they're focused on him in their suffering. Um, that's what makes suffering for the sake of Jesus. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So what we can say is, and this is from, this is from, uh, this is from one author who says this. So what makes suffering for the sake of Jesus is not the motivation of the person or the agent causing the suffering, but the attitude or conscience of the person who is suffering. Okay? And again, the key thing there would be in 1 Peter 2, 19, mindful of God. As we are mindful of Jesus and our identification of him and suffering with him and for his sake, um, <clears throat> any suffering can serve as a testimony um, to Jesus. What about illness or accident? So let's talk about that. So that's like a, a situation where we're, I don't know, maybe verbally, we're suffering verbal abuse. <clears throat> illness and suffering or accident can also be suffering for Christ's sake. And again, I'm gonna go back to James chapter, uh, James five, verses 10 through 11. And if you remember, James is talking about patience and suffering. And in verse seven, not up here, he, he actually, in this passage, verse seven to 11, he uses three illustrations for patience in suffering. <clears throat> uh, let's see, in verse seven, he uses this illustration of a farmer waiting patiently for rain and the harvest of crops. And the second illustration is found here in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So James refers to the prophets collectively, and in their roles as God's representatives, they suffered and responded with patience. They clung to God, like we've been talking about in, in, in the book of Job. They clung to God. Think of Jeremiah, for example, the prophet Jeremiah. He was put in stocks right? Basically, he was tortured, he was thrown in prison, and he was lowered into a dungeon, and yet he persisted in his ministry without bitterness. He clung to God. And that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that was this stoic trust in God. If you've read the book of Jeremiah, you know he complained, he charged, I mean, but he was always toward God. It's wonderful that God's word has given us examples of people that complain while suffering and still their attitude is toward God. Yeah. It's very encouraging that that's what counts. That's what counts. And so, so in that way, um, 
James says that prophets like Jeremiah spoke in the name of the Lord. And I, I, I think, I think that means suffering his testimony, like, like him clinging to God spoke as a testimony, him doing that. Now that's an example of what we talked about at, at first, where we're suffering specifically, you know, and people are, are, are persecuting us for, you know, our Christian faith. The question was, can any suffering be suffering for Christ's sake? And that brings us to James' third illustration. We're going to go back to Job here. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and gracious. And so here Job again is commended for his steadfastness in suffering. And I'm just repeating myself. Um, you recall that Job wasn't being persecuted by other people for his faith, you know, in God or in Christ. That wasn't what was happening. He was, he was suffering. You know, he suffered illness. He suffered, he suffered loss of family, of finances. Um, because of who? Satan, right? He suffered because of Satan. He experienced the suffering of accident and illness. And in Job 42.7, we read this. In Job 42.7, it says, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliaphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends. Oh, I forgot to put those up there. Sorry. Oh, it is here. Sorry. Um, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken what is right as my servant Job has. And, you know, I've always been a little puzzled about that, that God saying you have not spoken right as my servant Job has. And here's what I'm wondering. I'm, I'm wondering if, if what God means there is that Job's clinging to God. Remember, he complained, he, he argued, sometimes he even charged God, but what spoke of his steadfastness was the fact that he kept clinging to God. And in that way, Job spoke right, where, where um, his friends did not. Yes. Yeah. friends, would we possibly consider that counsel today? Well, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it was counsel. Yeah. So they were, they were attempting to give counsel, and they spoke true things, some true things, um, but they made a lot of assumptions, too. And so in doing so, in doing so, they, they said, God says that ultimately... I mean, their assumption was Job did something wrong. Mm -hmm. That was their primary assumption for why he was suffering. And so God says they didn't speak right of him because that, that was their paradigm. People suffer because they've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. End of story, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I've seen hands. Yeah, Alicia and then Suzanne.
cares of this world. Yeah. Um, as an example, that some people face trials and they turn away from the Lord. Yeah. They don't clean Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when we do that, regardless of what circumstance it is, it is a testimony to the world that, hey, you're going through something really hard and you didn't turn away from your faith. You know, we lost um, a couple of pregnancies and we didn't turn away from the Lord. And those are times when some people do do that. Yes. Or chronic illness. Some people are like, God, God is making me suffer. I don't want a God like that. Yes. And so when we persevere, we do enter into the suffering of Christ, and he feels that testimony yes. on us. Yes. Very good. That's where we're headed. Suzanne, and then I'm going to move us on. Just to kind of reiterate what she's saying, oh. the difference between his friends and Job is that Job had, had faith and he had hope in the Lord. He didn't understand it necessarily, but he's, like she said, he clung to, to the Lord yep. and was steadfast where the others were just like, you know, there was no hope there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very good. I'm going to move us on, but those are great comments, and we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So let me, let me just summarize. Um, any suffering can be suffering for Christ's sake, right? As we cling to the Lord in our suffering, whether it's accident, illness, or specifically for our faith, you know, as we cling to the Lord, that serves as a testimony or, yeah, can serve as a testimony. And that's the point today, suffering as testimony. So we began, we began by saying that Christians suffer as a testimony to the watching world. And we have an, an opportunity with how we suffer to give testimony and, and, um, so how we suffer is a testimony, and sometimes we are able to even give reason for the hope. Like somebody may ask us, like, what in the world? How can you endure this? And we can tell them specifically, this is why I'm suffering this way, right? We can speak with our words. So what I want to talk about specifically is this idea with suffering as testimony that they will know we are Christians by our suffering. They will know we are Christians by our suffering. And Dan McCartney says this, suffering somehow wins people. Suffering somehow wins people. Why do you think that is? Why do you think suffering somehow wins people? People that are watching. People that are watching someone suffering well somehow wins them. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're. If you truly have faith, you're in a goal. You're in whatever you can for it. You're going to jail, facing persecution, facing death. Yeah. These people are being. You realize it's real. You really do have faith, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Jim. An unconditional love is what the Lord gives to us. He wins us with that, and I wonder if He wants to see it reflected that we would reflect 
reflect that unconditional love back to him, no matter what's happening. Yeah. We love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in a way, that's what Job was doing. He he kept turning to God. I heard something that was so so helpful from a counselor, and it it had to do with someone who's struggling with anger at God. And and what this counselor said that was so helpful. Typically, we think, you know, that that's really bad, right? Did I say this before last week? No. Okay, good. But but what this counselor said was that's a significant thing because that demonstrates that God is a very important person in your life. If you're mad at God, that shows that he's a very important person in your life. And what that did for my friend was it was like, oh, okay, I don't have to pretend. I can begin processing that with God now. And again, that's what Job did, right? So so that's what we're talking about, right? So even if I'm angry with God, that potentially could be a testimony in the sense that I'm clinging to him. He's a very important person in my life. Here's how the author answers his own question. Suffering somehow wins people. I think this is because suffering is a great wear out of what a person's true character is. Bingo. You cannot do much pretending when you are suffering. When a non-Christian sees how a Christian struggles with God and yet cannot cease to relate to God, even if only in anger or questioning, it makes his or her own own emptiness acute. The non-Christian has no focus, no reason why it is appropriate to ask why. Although our suffering in Christ is not vicariously redemptive, right? It is redemptive in the sense that our suffering displays Christ's sufferings and therefore can be used by God as a mean of touching non-Christians. Mm-hmm. Louise, go ahead. And then I'm going to move us Yes. Yeah, the comment was we learn obedience. Jesus somehow, I mean, he grew more mature, right? He was sinless, but somehow he grew as maybe the stakes are raised and raised and raised the reality of who he was and is, you know, as he walked in obedience through suffering. And that's similar to what's going on uh, potentially with us. And we're actually, that's, that's where we're going next. Um, Paul makes the point about how suffering wins people in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 through 12. He says, always carrying, around, carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Note here that Paul says that death is at work. This suffering that we experience, this figurative death, suffering that we experience is at work. I think that's interesting. God is using Paul's suffering in Christ and for Christ to produce life in his fellow Christians. Somehow Paul's suffering, you know, we could say won 
his fellow believers in the sense that it had an impact on them. And the origin of this pattern is Jesus. Jesus' suffering bore fruit in the people for whom he died. And Paul says that his own suffering as a working out of Jesus' suffering bears fruit in the lives of Christ's people. And perhaps it'll bear fruit in the lives of non-Christians as well, right? So, sorry, I, I want to get through some of this. Here's the principle. One person's suffering bears fruit in the life of another. And maybe this is a way to, to capture this. Death in Christ produces life in me. Death in me produces life in you. Again, that's not a guarantee, but God often uses our suffering as we respond to that in Christ. He uses that in the lives of others. Okay? So, so there's a sense in which suffering as testimony means that they, Christians and non-Christians, will know that we are Christians by our suffering. You know, it's the real deal. And that produces that produces effects in other people. The other thing we can say is this. We suffer for the sake of Christ and with Christ. It's not only a testimony to others, it's also a testimony to ourselves. So we will know that we're Christians by our suffering. We will know that we are Christians by our suffering. And here's how... Dan McCartney puts it. He says, suffering tests the metal. We find out whether we really believe God's promises. And you've already made that point. I, I think, Alicia, you said it really well. You know, as we experience suffering and, and all that that is, the chaos, the confusion, the incomprehensibility of, of our suffering, and yet we're clinging to God in that. Again, I'm not talking about a stoic, I'm just trusting God and this is great. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about Job-like, clinging to God. Is this making our election sure in our own mind? I mean... That's, that, that, that's what's happening, is that, is that yes, as we're walking through that, maybe not in, in the moment, you know, but as we come out of that, it's like, it's like, wow, I, I really do believe what I believe, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that's what we're getting at. Suffering tests the metal, and, and it, God uses the, the, the metaphor for refining us as in fire, right? He's, he's refining us as through fire. I like this quote, and I want to get to this. It's a long quote. I apologize for that. But if you know the, if you know the story of, C.S. Lewis, and, and this little book called A Grief Observed. How many have heard of A Grief Observed? So if you know about the story, Lewis wrote this book near the end of his life. So he's a mature Christian. He's been walking with Jesus for a while. I think it was published in 60 or 61. He died in 63. And it's, it's his grief at his wife dying. And it's him trying to process it. And if you know about Lewis, you know he wrote books like The Problem of Pain, which is kind of an apologetic for suffering, an intellectual exercise. 
And what's interesting about this book is it was first published anonymous, well, with a pseudonym. He didn't publish it in his own name. And that didn't happen until after he died. And what's interesting about this book is he's not processing pain like in this intellectual way at all. Let's read the quote. It's, it's fascinating what he says. Oh, he talks about bridge players. My mom plays bridge. Some of you younger people are like bridge. Is that this thing over water? What, what's bridge? It's a card game. Okay, it's a card game. So he says, bridge players tell me there must be some money on the game or else people won't take it seriously. Apparently, it's like that. Your bid for God or no God, for a good God or the cosmic sadist, for eternal life or non-entity will not be serious if nothing much is staked on it. And you will never discover how seriously it was until the stakes are raised horribly high, until you find that you are playing not for a counter or for a sixpence, but for every penny you have in the world. Nothing less will shake a man, or at any rate, a man like me, out of his merely verbal thinking and merely notional beliefs. He has to be knocked silly before he comes to his senses. Only torture will bring out the truth. Only under torture does he discover it himself. I don't really love reading that, to be honest. Right? But, but I think this is getting at what it's like to suffer and what it is doing in us. Suffering is testimony. We, we begin to know God in ways that we haven't before. We know that we are Christians by our suffering. Um, and, and here's the thing. So many in the Bible, as you read about those who suffered in the Bible, they were approved by God. It wasn't as punishment for so, so many. And Job was one of those. We've talked about him. Remember that, that he was identified as blameless at the very beginning. Not sinless, but he was the real deal. He was the genuine article, right? He was the genuine article. And yet Job can say at the very end of the book, we read this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? That's God. That was, he's quoting God. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. And then Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Somehow Job's suffering served as a testimony in his own life. It's so interesting where previously he says, I had heard about you, but now my eye sees you. And again, he was the genuine article at the beginning, but somehow through his suffering, he sees God in a different way and he knows him in a different way. 
One author says it like this. The most deeply compassionate and merciful thing God can do is to humble us and bring us low so that we may bow before him and lean on him and trust him. This is the first mark of the compassion of God that he loves enough to humble. I don't like those words in in one sense because of what it costs to be humbled. But Job can honestly say, man, I heard about you and he he was a real deal. Now I I see you. Something changed. Louise. Yes. We're united to Christ in real union with him and the trajectory of our lives united to him is the same. First the cross, then the crown. And and he has called us into the fellowship of his sufferings and for a purpose suffering as testimony. That's, that's the thing we're talking about today. Suffering is testimony. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Suffering is testimony. And and yeah, so sometimes when we're if we're on the other side of suffering, we can we can look back and see some things in the midst of it. A lot of times it's really hard to it's just confusing and and difficult. So so Christians suffer as as a testimony. Why? Number one, so that they Non-Christians and Christians will know that we are Christians by our suffering. And number two, so that we will know that we are Christians by our suffering. And the third point, which I'm not going to be able to really develop, we're out of time, um, is is that, um, how did I say this? Yeah, not only does suffering um, draw... Not only does suffering draw us closer to Jesus, not only is it, a, is it a testimony to others and to ourselves, but suffering as a testimony also draws us closer to fellow Christians. And um, I'm just going to end here by, by reading 1 Corinthians 12, 26. We don't have time for me to develop this more fully, um, but 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 says, For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow toward us, 
so also our comfort through Christ overflows to you. I'll never forget when our son Joey was in the hospital um, when he was four years old. He was having brain tumor surgery and we were in the waiting room and it was my wife and I and the waiting room was overflowing with our friends, our family, our church family. I mean, it was just full, overflowing. And I'll never forget that for me was a picture of, hey, when you guys suffer, we're all suffering with you. We're here with you. And so that, that, that's the last piece of suffering as testimony. Sorry, this is a crash landing, but that's what you get. You get what you pay for um, here on Sunday morning. And uh, I guess you are tithing, though. So I'll have to, I'll have to, rethink, I'll have to rethink that. I'll have to rethink that. So next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about uh, training in righteousness would be the third reason why Christians suffer. And then hopefully in two weeks, we'll talk about the fourth reason, which is getting ready for glory. So let me pray for us. Our Father, help us to, to learn to suffer with Christ and for Christ. Lord, would you... Lord, we just... It's hard. You know it's hard. You've experienced it. And so we need your help to, to learn how to, uh, to suffer with Jesus and for his sake so that, so that our lives might be a testimony to others, to ourselves. And Lord, teach us how to walk with one another in suffering, how to comfort each other, how to, how to, how to be the body of Christ. Grow us in those ways. Lord, we know we need to... We know we're doing that, but we know we need to grow. And so thank you for this opportunity today to be together. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.